Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, this is Anne Philippi, founder and host of the New Health Club Show. I like to invite you to change your mind about psychedelics. Because I believe we are entering a new era of health, bodies, and brains. And for this, we need new tools, experts, and thought leaders, which you can meet here at the New Health Club Show. Please enjoy. Hi, and welcome to a new episode of the New Health Club Show. This episode was not very easy to do. It was a difficult conversation very open and very vulnerable. But it was a conversation I wanted to have with the Safe Heart Foundation, a professional support for the survivors of the music festival on October 7th in Israel. We decided to keep this episode as little political as possible. So we would be able to talk about what happened on and after this rave with the people attending the rave and also their families the people who got attacked and how their trauma played out in the aftermath of the event. SafeHeart is a mental health organization bringing together a professional network of clinical psychologists, psychiatrists, clinical social workers, psychotherapists, and qualified clinical instructors, all of whom have experience working with severe traumatic experiences and in the field of psychedelic harm reduction and integration. Today, I have the great pleasure to talk to Dr. Damien Halperin, Head of Psychiatric Support, MD, Board Certified Psychiatrist and Psychotherapist, and to Guy Simon, Board Member, Chairman of the Clinical Advisory Committee, PhD Psychotherapist with Expertise in Trauma, Clinical Director at Impulse, Specialized in Relational Psychoanalysis and Buddhist Psychology. We talk about how to work around a special traumatizing experience of the people being attacked while partying, while being on psychedelic substances. We talk about how the whole experience of October 7th can influence everyone on a global level and what this could mean for treating trauma with psychedelics. I am very proud of this conversation. We managed to stay informative and able to invite people to get in touch with Safeheart if they wanted to, yet being able to voice pain, trauma, and the effect this event had on the Jewish community and on the whole world we are living now in at the moment. It's a very special podcast episode. Um, I want to say like a special edition about a topic that is right now very difficult to discuss, but it's important that we do it. And I'm very excited to have Damien Halperin and Guy, did you say Simon? Guy Simon, it can yes. be Simon, it can be Guy oh. Simon. Guy Simon, also good, <laughs> on this show. And um, 
you guys are the founders of the Safe Heart Foundation. And maybe we'll start it. You guys introduce yourselves and also the foundation before we get into the details. Sure. Thank you, Anne. So my name is Guy Simon. I'm a clinical uh, social worker and a psychotherapist. And I specialized in trauma, complex PTSD, and sexual abuse in early childhood. So this is what I most of the time work uh, in my clinic with and also my academic uh, background. But nowadays I'm really uh, involved in the research of psychedelic experiences, trauma, and psychotherapy. And actually my research started a year before the, this event and Unfortunately, my skills and interests are got very relevant for some people um, during the last couple of months. And so in Israel, I have a clinics, um, a chain of clinics that called Impulse, and we're doing uh, psychotherapy and psychedelic experience uh, integration in our clinics. Also, we're doing uh, education for therapists on psychedelics, etc. Um, and on the 7th of October, I co-founded with my friends and colleagues, uh, Safe Heart Foundation, uh, to treat and help the survivors of the attack, specific on the Nova Rave party and the other parties, the trans festival that were um, at that Saturday. Damien. Yeah, so thank you very much for the opportunity uh, to be uh, together. Um, so my name is Damien and I'm a, I'm a psychiatrist. I was, I, 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 I was raised in Switzerland. I've been living in Israel for the past 16 or 17 years. So I, I, I learned like medical school in, I studied medical school in Switzerland back then. Regarding my activity, I'm, I'm a clinical, I'm a, I'm a psychiatrist and I work in different um, settings, but I have the opportunity to join Guy and the other founders. I'm, I'm not technically a founder, but uh, I joined very quickly the team and I'm in charge of psychiatric support for Safe Heart to, to assist whenever uh, psychiatric uh, evaluation and, 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 and treatment is needed. Uh, I've been also involved in psychedelic research, clinical research during the past few years. So we have a shared interest and I'm, as a guy, we, we, we share this passion of psychedelics research and, and therapy. So yeah, thanks. Thanks again for the opportunity. Sure. I mean, let's start really like probably the questions that a lot of people will have around this. So. October 7th happens the first, I remember the first, I was actually in Amsterdam, the first pictures of the rave, um, and the hostages were rising or what happened around this. And then of course, I mean, you being also in Israel by yourself must be, must have been traumatized already by this. And then you kind of quickly founded this organization to support people who were on this rave. So maybe you can talk a little bit about how this happened and how the reaction is um, after something like this happens, because some people would be just paralyzed and just, you know, stay at home and don't do anything. And, but you guys actually reached out and um, 
were kind of active. So maybe you can talk a little bit to the to the creation of sure. this foundation. <clears throat> sure. So as some people know, Israel is an empire of psytrance uh, music. It and is. it is and from early 90s from the early 90s Israel um have lots and lots and lots of rave every every week so the trance scene and the psychedelic scene in Israel is is rather huge for the last 30 even 40 years um so a lot of people in Israel are going to trance music Uh, festivals and some of them are using psychedelics and our group are harm reduction specialists because you know so many years of raves in Israel people from the community understand that the people that have the psychedelic experience they need kind of a different way to support um, uh, they need a different way to support the psychedelic experience if something um, going wrong so people from inside of the scene created huge organizations for harm reduction those organizations have rare conflict with the Israeli mental health system so we don't trust them that much to deal with people under the influence of psychedelics so we take all the responsibility on ourselves uh, and this is like this for many many years so on the October 7th couple of us from different organizations um, started to talk with each other on the um, social networks and we realized that the people that participated in the trans festivals during this Saturday they will need assistance from a different kind and it will not be the usual um, traumatic um, protocol that that will need to address their uh, trauma. So we understood that we need to do something ourselves. And we started to connect uh, survivors to therapists that have a specialty in psychedelics or they are aware of psychedelics or they're not even judgmental about psychedelics that they will allow to express a psychedelic experience inside the clinic and they will not say things as Are you sure this is what happened things that can make very very it can be very trigger to someone that just experienced a third so we just acted as a, a calling center for the first couple of days so calls are coming from survivors and we are directing them to um, therapists and we reached almost all of the survivors and Of the novarade during the weeks um, and we had at some point around 500 therapists that were volunteering to give first aid and mental health support to the survivors free of charge so almost everyone that contacted us got free sessions at least three some of them got five six eight and And yeah, and this happened almost immediately. Today after people went into some psychologists uh, or psychiatrist clinic the day after. Almost immediately. Damien, yeah. you want to add something? Yeah, to, yeah sure no. I think, yeah, 
guy is talking about the specificity of the intervention for this population, which is obviously what is very, very special about Safe Heart and the community of therapists and people that are very aware, knowledgeable and connected to the community of trans or festivals and psychedelics. And they can really, we can apply an approach with it, which is very suited to this population. And uh, I, th I think as far as I'm concerned, uh, when such a tragic event uh, occurs in your country, in, in, uh, aside from the specificity of, of what Guy is talking about, the, the will just to be, to feel useful, to be like, to connect to something in, inside yourself, which will able you, which will make you able to give help, whatever, whatever your specialty is. And I think this, as far as I'm concerned, this is, this is was, this was my motivation to just, you know, stand up and be and be ready just to help with the tools that uh, that I have I have acquired along the years it's just to find really like signification and 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 um, and and to 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 feel useful in such a tragic uh, context i want to add something on a personal note to what uh, Damien just said you know um one of the most important things when you experience a traumatic event is to go back uh, into your life in order to make yourself uh, better. Um, so immediately I felt like I need to do something or else I will lose my mind. So what I did actually, even before we started SafeArt, is I opened my Zoom uh, account and just post it on Facebook and say, everyone that needs me mental health support, please come. And it was for me more than for, I was just sitting in front of the Zoom waiting for people to come up and just, I wanted to talk with them for myself to feel like <laughs> I have something to contribute because, you know, it was, was horrible to be here. It was so, so, so scary. You didn't feel safe, even though we were very, very far away from geographic place that the massacre uh, has happened. Yeah, to feel useful, but you also want to treat yourself with action. It's a way to feel safe, no? For for from my point of view, making me like active and participate to helping uh, increased my own feeling of safety context because this is my safe zone where I can be useful, where people can come, and I can so in so the. This concept of, of safety is very important. It can be more than a trauma. It can be more than fear. It can be someone, something. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. But I mean, just I'm just curious. So let's say people got in touch with you who were on that wave. And like you say, many mm -hmm. people were on psychedelics during the rave. Maybe MDMA, maybe mushroom. Yeah. Then by the time they approach you, they might come down also in their experience or like the, the trip has worn off maybe. Okay. So this is almost like a, in a strange way, like a, like an integration moment. So yeah. can you talk to the, to the point or to, to the moment, like when you talk to a person who just had a, maybe just survived, I mean, not everybody survived and, had that experience under a psychedelic influence. So, and then how do you, how do you talk to a person 
as opposed to if someone, let's say, had a very bad accident and just, you know, comes out of the accident and has no, maybe no further intake of anything, but it must be such an, I mean, it's almost like a movie that nobody can imagine that this would ever happen. So, but how do you talk to somebody coming down also from, from that experience with that background that just happened? So at Safeheart, what we did at the beginning is a lot of psychoeducation for the therapists about what do they need to do and especially what do, what they don't need to do with the people that came back from the rave. So let's say, uh, First thing first, it's we did acute intervention for people that experience a traumatic event. That's first thing. Mm -hmm. It's CBT, it's CPT, it's things that are relevant for a traumatic um, experience. But the second thing is that I, we wanted our <clears throat> therapist to be um, familiar with is the psychedelic experience itself and how to talk to a person about his psychedelic experience. So don't be judgmental. Don't uh, try to um, debalance what the person think that happened or, or didn't happen. Try to be with him in the experience, kind of uh, using mindfulness in the clinics, right? So people really, really wanted to let all of the pictures, all of the experiences out as, as fast as possible. They just wanted to vomit them out, most of the people. Not all of them. The very, very um, horrible cases that we met uh, uh, are people that kind of got stuck in their houses uh, and didn't want to go out. But the people that did came out, the people would have a bit more strength and they wanted to let everything out as, as, as fast as possible. And so the therapist that met them heard the most weird, bizarre, horrible uh, uh, stories. And we were afraid that those therapists will you know, think to themselves, maybe it didn't happen. Maybe they didn't see a pile of dead bodies and it was the influence of the LSD or the um, DMT or whatever. Or maybe a person will come to their clinic and he, he will say to them, you know, I saw all the all the terrorists shooting my friends, but I feel okay. I feel like I survived. I feel that I overcome it. And the therapist will think to himself, that's not possible. You, yeah. you came back from a war zone. You cannot be okay. So this is where therapists need to understand the influence of uh, psychedelic and specific psychedelics. So it was very important for us to do psychoeducation. For example, if people were under the influence of MDMA or ecstasy, um, yes, they can be in kind of an euphoric uh, atmosphere or, or mindset inside of a terror attack, inside of a war zone. It's possible. And it's possible that they will, went, that they will go out of the situation and they will be kind of dissociated from what happened. And they will be I don't know if people will see that. They will be okay. It's possible. Okay, so don't don't be judgmental. Don't yeah. say it's only the influence of the drug. It's the mindset. 
It's not about the drug anymore. It's the mindset, and we need to go with that. Okay, and we need to build a coherent and cohesive uh, narrative for this person. Okay, and we cannot say, "Oh, it was the drug." Okay, we cannot take his powers, his strength. Right. So this is something that was super critical for us to not to not um, debalance those people. Because psychedelics is part of their life, part of their culture. And they do agree for different type of experiences to live together um, at the same time. Uh, it was the first time it was with a terror attack, but you know they can be sad and they can be tripping at the same time and build a, a current narrative of what happened. This is, this is psychedelic therapy. This is the base of psychedelic therapy. Yes, I think uh, I think what what is very particular in that context is the fact that people that obviously who, whoever goes to a rave uh, goes in order to stop time, stop the time, stop the routine, stop the normal life, and have twelve or twenty four or forty eight hours of something else. Just with, with your with yourself and with your dearest friends. So the context of this attack on these people is very very particular in this sense of these people being kind of already positive voluntary dissociation from the routine. Uh, this is an act of life of like enjoying life and just posing life just to to have to enjoy and have fun and be in, in intimacy with yourself so we have kind of a normal regular uh, healthy dissociation and on top of this for people who use psychedelics and I have to say that it's not all of the people it's like many but it's certainly not all of the people so we have to be yeah. also careful with 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 this in order not to generalize so for for the many people who 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 decided to to experience this rave under under the influence of psychedelics so there is another there is a second level of dissociation which is which in this in this fact in this context once the trauma started or the attack started there is the pathological or let's say the it's not a pathological but the survival dissociation mechanism of post trauma of trauma which goes on top so we have three levels of dissociation and that's really what is interesting and that's what we're looking into with guy in 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 research and and and, and other and other people in the, in the team with Roy so so we're looking at at, at these levels of dissociation and how it can influence maybe recovery prognosis and just simply understand uh, the interface between trauma or tra poten potentially traumatic experience and altered state of consciousness. And maybe we can, it's a good moment to already talk about the study that you guys are setting up. Um, and you already said something about it already, but maybe you can just also say like, how you got the i mean the idea like how you ended up thinking wow this is we should do used to use what hap what's happening here also to to create a study to have more insight of what's happening for people in traumatizing situations that seem to be on a daily basis happening all over the world right now also yeah so as as 
good people that grew up in academia, when we see a problem, we go to the books and we try to figure out what we should do. So we saw there is a terror attack and people under the influence of um, psychedelic drugs at the same time. So <clears throat> severe trauma and something that will support uh, the work that needs to be done with those people. So this is the, the main reason that we started uh, collecting data. Um, and so we are doing quantitative and qualitative research. The quantitative is uh, led by um, Professor Roy Salomon from Haifa University. Um, and he's doing a physiological study. Second one is uh, qualitative phenomenological interviews with the uh, survivors. And this thing is led by me, Demian, and um, another guy that is working with me in Impulse and is part of the founders of SafeHeart. His name is Neil Tadmo. He's a harm reduction uh, specialist. So in our research, we're trying to understand the um, subjective experience of being exposed to a terror event, to a life-threatening situation under the influence of psychedelics. And the main question that we have there is, what do you think? Does the drug supported or didn't support your escape? What is happening afterwards? What do you think? Are the drugs relevant for um, stabilizing yourself after the traumatic event? We see that, and I'm being very careful with that, that people that use different substances, some of them, okay, and I will not talk uh, percentage, are saying that the psychedelic experience, and I'm not, I'm not even not talking about a specific drug, we can go into that afterwards, uh, that, that it's supported. It's supported uh, the fact that they think that they don't have a post-traumatic uh, stress disorder, okay? They see the psychedelic experience as something that kind of dissociated them from what they saw, from what they felt, and focused them on escaping, on going back home. So it's something very, very interesting. We only just begun, okay? The data is not completely supporting what I'm saying now, the quantitative, which uh, this mm. is the, the data you are going out with the boom. So, but in the qualitative side, it's super interesting to see how people are using the psychedelic experience in order to support themselves mentally. And yeah, many of them, many of them are saying that that the LSD supported them, that the MDMA supported them. Um, but something that me and Damian are discuss discussed before, it's, you know, we're not talking to the dead people. We're not talking to the people that didn't survive. What happened to them? How did the psychedelic experience didn't support them in escaping? Mm. Maybe they were confused. Maybe they used ketamine and they couldn't use their body correctly and couldn't escape. Yeah, I, I agree with this, that we're aware of the bias. There are potential biases in our, in our study. 
and this this one is 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 obviously the most tragic tragic that ten more or less ten percent of the persons are not here anymore to uh, tell their experience and um there are other bias so so we we won't uh, actually at the moment we're discussing a lot with guy about this but we're very uh we we're taking this uh preliminary uh, results uh, with a lot of uh, carefulness but uh, yet it's uh, very interesting to have also it would be very interesting for us to not only arrive to the conclusion whether psychedelic effect helped the survivors or didn't help or harm but also how in what sense and and that's that that's why the the qualitative part of our study is very important because of the not only how many and what but how and i think it's it's not maybe it's a bit too short today to enter to this but I think it's going to be very interesting to analyze the, the how according to the substances and in general, and according to our own knowledge about psychedelics in general, that's the perspective because at the end of the day, it was a psychedelic experience and an attack, but it was a psychedelic experience. And we know a lot about psychedelic experience, so we can connect the dots. And, and something I want to add to what Damien just said, and also we talked about this, uh, couple of hours ago actually and psychedelic experience is subjective we cannot harness science completely to understand psychedelic experience we don't understand consciousness at its full spectrum we don't understand the mind in full spectrum and I think it will stay like that and it's good and it's okay and it's healthy for the human mind to have sort of um, you know a spiritual level that you don't really understand but you can trust so we will not fully understand what happened but the how is so 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 important so as Damien said the phenomenological research is almost mandatory to understand uh, spiritual or psychedelic experiences it's not only hardcore science that you know, yeah. can be afterwards harnessed in order to create, and I will say something political, medicines uh, to sell them to a lot of potential clients that suffer from things. But I mean, there's this, um, I'm sure you guys know this movie, Trip of Compassion. I mean, the oh, yeah. three people, Israeli people, sure. Um, sure. for those who don't sure. know it, um, using like, and shown actually in the therapy room doing MDMA therapy. And I think after seeing this, um, one has an idea really how powerful this can be and how it's also saved the lives of these three people in a very different way. Um, so, I mean, like, let's say, let's stick with the people before we come to the, the people who were just hearing about these events, but the people who were on the event so after October 7th, are they coming back to you on a regular basis to engage in, in therapy or even look into, like in maybe in a legal context, into psychedelic therapy, maybe in the Netherlands or something? Is there something like this that they actually actively looking into re-engaging into psychedelics to solve their 
eventual trauma? I will say something short, and I think Damien will add because he's getting yeah. much more patience than I do. I'm more on the director level of the foundation. So the people I met um, in the research and in my private uh, practice do came back to uh, drugs, I will say, also psychedelics. So they came back for to weed and, and ketamine. Almost all the people I talked with are smoking nonstop after the event in the first couple of weeks, for sure, and using a lot of dissociative drugs as ketamine. And there is a huge risk for addiction, severe, severe, severe addiction afterwards, because those people have, you know, a strong connection to those substances, and it's very easy for them to to use them for self-medicating. So it's part of you know everyday life for them. So if there is a situation like that, it will be you know the first thing they will try uh, to do in order to get themselves better. But it's also dissociative. It's not a psychological treatment with someone and trying to understand my experience. Second thing is self-medication uh, through psychedelics. Yes, I talked to people that use LSD, psilocybin, MDMA after the event, and but it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting thing. Um, they use those drugs in order to go back to a positive experience. Mm. They wanted to relieve the party, the transcendentic uh, feeling of oneness uh, that they had before. So they wanted to use those drugs in order to go to this state of mind again and kind of relieve it in a positive way, with their friends, with their, the music that they love. Because this is this is the huge risk in, I said I will say something in short, but it's not short, sorry. Um, this, is, this is what is um, very uh, unique about this traumatic event. They were partying and celebrating life um, free, completely, from thinking about everyday life's problem. And at one moment, everything got disconnected and dissociated and they needed to run for their life so those people are kind of you know fueling themselves from those kinds of events this is what support them in life this is what gives them happiness and they need that it's it's the it's it's an octant for their um joy and happiness and they cannot ignore that now they they cannot not use this and resources. Uh, it's not a car that you can, okay, I will stop driving. Okay, I'm afraid of car. I have trauma from after a car accident. I will go with the public transport. No, uh, they need to go back into parties. So I think they use the drugs in order to go back to this type of state of mind. Yeah, I, th I think regarding your question, I think I see a lot of patients and there are really different kind of like ways for them of coping with the post-traumatic symptomatology suffering, which we will not enter into right now, but there's a lot of ways of coping and, and the use of substances is one of them, uh, but not necessarily because sometimes the suffering, the, the mental distress is so high um, that it's also accompanied by fear and, and, and and avoidment and so we see all kinds of situations i see all kinds of situations but I, 
definitely agree with Guy. This population is very is very particular in the sense of what Guy is saying. It's those most of them. There are some of them that just were there for the first time. I have a lot of patients also like this, but many people live that this is their life. Like this is their life every weekend or or twice mm. a month, and and if we're talking about psychedelic assisted therapy as you as you mentioned like uh, or something like this it's not at all relevant for this kind of population because psychedelic assisted therapy as 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 was done in clinical trials in maps or 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 by other companies mm -hmm. uh, in academic or in industry settings are to my knowledge are done on mostly on uh, naive patients. This is a very, very big difference. Psychedelic assisted therapy has been shown to be efficacious in, or for the moment, at least for some indications, but only or mainly on naive or almost naive population, meaning population which has no previous experience with psychedelics. So this population is not like this. It's people, so we don't, so talking about or thinking of psychedelic assisted therapy for them, certainly at this point in the time, it's too early anyway, but even, even in, a, in, a, in the future, it's, it's a, it's a very interesting question, but it's quite, uh, it's quite tricky. It's not the same population that, that has been, uh, studied in the clinical trials. I think that what can be relevant to this kind of population is more on the existential level of therapy <clears throat> because they experience something that is really, really uh, heartbroken um, to be in the middle of this wonderful event of celebrating life, of celebrating oneness to be together with everything as we know that the psychedelic experience can can be for some people is it's an existential crisis um, it's a level up than a traumatic event that's it's very 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 deep and i think a proper um, psychedelic integration therapy proper existential therapy using tools as uh, mindfulness or third wave psychology and influences of Buddhism, uh, we need to build resilience. Uh, we need to hold, you know, life and happiness together with, with the sadness and despair, etc. I do believe psychedelic drugs, uh, not psychedelics, but MDMA-assisted uh, psychotherapy can be beneficial for, for some, but I'm not sure it can be one drug fit all. I'm sure, yeah. But I mean, let's also talk about the people, I mean, and this is like also happening outside of Israel. I'm curious what you think about it, like the level of re-traumatization on a, on a global level has also happened. I mean, I can just mainly talk about Berlin, where a lot of Jewish people are experiencing young people also who lived here maybe all their lives or just very briefly in Tel Aviv at one point mm -hmm. are talking about um, feeling that they need to flee and pack their bags any minute or that they just don't feel safe. I mean, although technically they are safe here, I mean, there's no military intervention happening. And um, so they can, I don't know, 
go to a coffee place, have a coffee and go home, nothing will happen. And um, still it's very, <laughs> having said that, like I live around the synagogue here and the Jewish, uh, Jewish school, there's always like a guy with a, you know, a police guy with a gun, like even before October 7th. It's so very interesting how this is um, also contributing to a daily life here, but still. So how do you think, like, how would you describe the, um, I mean, we could, we could, we could call it intergenerational trauma aspect in this context or the, the effect that such an event has on people who are not even, even live in the area where it happened and still can be very traumatizing. Um, I think what, which most people don't really understand who might not be Jewish or might not be in this context where it, it has happened in that area. To say, Anne, that we are suffering from a severe case of us and them for so, so, so long. The mm. first thing I felt after those events is that I'm one of them now. I'm one of the Israelis. Mm -hmm. You know, no one will understand me. No one will show any empathy towards my personal trauma. And I don't want to feel like that. And after uh, Israeli attack started on Gaza, I felt like I have no place to go because I will always be this Israeli that is, you know, doing uh, war crimes, uh, even mm -hmm. though I never... Yeah. I even... I wasn't in the army. <laughs> oh, really? Nobody cared because I'm Israeli. You know, as much as Israelis sometimes think about Palestinians, that they're all terrorists. No. And so this harsh, harsh case of this separation between humans, um, between, you know, every mother is a mother. And, you know, what do I think on a personal level? I'm... I'm living in Israel, but I used to live in Europe for many years, and I'm I'm immigrating now, moving to 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 Europe to do my research, and trying to be personal because I cannot say something smart. It makes me very sad, very very sad that I need to consider if I will tell a person where I'm from, and then I will need to justify myself even though I didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. um, me personally. Um, and people will not show empathy towards me because I'm, it's, it's very popular to say that Israelis are um, attacking with no limits and with no consideration population in Gaza. Uh, I don't know. It makes me very confused. So it wasn't coherent what I just said, but I think it will stay like I, that. It was very coherent. Um, I will add something, Guy, also. Thank you for like uh, disclosing... Uh, it's a topic that I very little speak about uh, in general, but I think it's a good opportunity. And at the end of the day, I don't feel sad about this. Like, I mean, I feel sad, but I also, when you have your own conviction, convictions and your own way of seeing life and human beings and you're implementing this in your work, in your life, and you maybe try to influence whoever is around you in a positive manner. So this also can fill you with a lot of hope 
and peace inside. So yeah, so I, I agree with Guy. It's kind of saddening, but I have, I don't feel any any reason why to justify justify something that is not mine. What is mine is mine. I can talk to it freely with anyone. Okay, thank you for sharing that. It's um, it's very powerful, I think, and most people have not really that perspective because it's the only perspective you have is on Instagram or on classic news. But um, people need to understand all the people in this country grew up in a war zone. Okay, I'm aware of the possibility that I will might might get killed on the bus to school from the age of seven. People are not aware of that, that we are in this region, Palestinians and Israel. Israelis are built differently. And when you're trying to look and judge us from the side with the Western uh, perspective, with the yeah. high culture, with the... <laughs> it's, 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 I will say it's, it's a bit foolish. Right, it's like a, those anthropologists from the 30s are coming to to Africa and trying to understand what this act or what this word even mean. No, you you need to live here. You need to be part of us. You need to you need to grow up here in order to understand what is really really going on both sides. You can judge the situation, of course, from a global perspective, but don't judge the individuals before you really, really sit and talk with them. I mean, at the moment, we read a lot about how the Ukraine um, is trying to support their veterans with ketamine and MDMA therapy, or like at least kind of help them to deal with their experiences. And suddenly, and then October 7th happens, and suddenly we have this very interesting situation that... Um, traumatizing events and war zones have this very strange accelerating effect on the psychedelic kind of not development, but, but to make people understand how they could actually help people to overcome a lot of things that they otherwise might never overcome. As we also see on the example with the American veterans speaking about, uh, out about how psychedelics they help them. It is such an interesting moment where we even almost cannot wait longer to to work with these substances because most people will not be able to overcome their trauma and also civilians, not only veterans, which we also learn now. So if you, let's say, if, if you read about the the trials or the, let's say, the interventions in, in Ukraine with psychedelics. What what is your take on this? How do you how do you look at these developments? Which also like a year ago nobody would ever think that this would happen. I think first of all I think um my opinion about fast development of psychedelic therapies is sometimes too fast is can be like too fast can be too fast. And I think because I don't really believe in shortcuts uh, in anything, especially in psychedelics, because we're talking about profound, very int intimate, profound changes, which requires preparation, requ requires appropriate timing, conditions, and requires many things. 
I believe in psychedelics as a very potent, very powerful tool to reach a deep awareness and love within, within inside, with oneself, and, and to be able to also to share it with others. So psychedelics can be a very, very good uh, solution in theory, but it requires like the conditions, the time, the, the mentality changes, and we have to be very, very careful about shortcuts. Uh, it's not a panacea. It's not like going to solve every, 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 every trauma now. Bless you. And it's not going to solve like conflicts. It's, it's, I mean, there are many, many other things that can be done in terms of conflict resolution and that are, that don't involve psychedelics at, uh, at, at many, many, many levels. So I'd say, yeah, I, I say that in reality, to be pragmatic, if you want to, 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 to bring solution to, to, to conflicts, you have to work at other levels before, uh, diving too quickly with, uh, into psychedelics. And, and it, this is not really like, that's not contradictory to the fact that psychedelics is, can be a wonderful tool as, at a very personal, intimate and to the close surrounding of the person. That's, that's, that's the way it is, you know, and, I think we talked about this this morning with Guy, so I think we had an interesting uh, chat about this. I want to add that I don't see psychedelics as a magic pill to cure PTSD. And this is what some companies, uh, some people with interest are trying to show us. And I think this Americanization of and medicalization of psychedelics is a huge, huge, huge mistake. And when you look into the subjective experience of psychedelics, you cannot, you, you shouldn't want to make it into a commercial drug. You, sh you, you will want, I hope, to support the set and setting of a user, even a recreational user, in order for him to do his own process. Of course, it needs to be, to be supported. So, Let's develop protocols as I'm doing, as other people are doing, in order to have a better and safer experience. But to put a price tag on a psychedelic substance and sell it and advertise it as something that will cure or help people that are suffering from PTSD and to take it into a war zone and say, hold on a minute, okay? A lot of people in Ukraine need this now. You can convince a lot of people to, to help, to, to help you do that. I think it's, and forgive me for saying that is a very, very populistic thing to do. And I don't appreciate that. And yeah. And those are my resolutions after using psychedelic drugs and understanding the, the, the effect, the weird effect of it, the, 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 the altered states of consciousness affect them. Um, it should take us away from putting things into boxes and into frames. This is the, the huge, huge benefits of psychedelics to open your mind and to make it into a, a commercial drug. It's just ridiculous. I mean, isn't it also that every let's say even PTSD treatment with MDMA, it's such a hyper individual way 
how people are reacting, what happens with them in, in the therapy. I think it's almost impossible. It seems almost impossible to have like a, okay, this is what's happening when you take this and then take this, this is then this happens. So it's almost impossible. The more you engage in this by yourself. I mean, I did the first round of MDMA therapy and I'm still kind of like, oh, what actually happened in that round? So from, from people that I spoke to that participated in the MDMA trial, um, almost all of them told me that the most important thing in this experience was the therapist. It can be a good experience or a bad experience, depends yeah. on the therapist. But the drug was a minor thing. It, the, the, the effect is super aggressive and strong and important. But the therapeutic alliance, the therapist himself, you know, as a person, who is the, the, the energy he can give, you know, is, um, his perspectives on things, uh, the way he's doing the integration process, that all the literature is showing this is the most important thing. How do you embody what you experience into everyday life? You know, the psychedelic experience itself, it's, it's, it's disappearing. But how did you implement the things that you understand, the, the, you know, the, the thoughts, the, 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 the experiences into everyday life? This is what's important. So we need to put more attention on how to create better therapists that can do improper integration, right? It's not the MDMA. It's the person-on-person -person type of relationship that is building the clinic, right? So, And it's the process, right? It's yeah. like and, the process. and also, a lot of people told me that, 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 that they didn't have a proper integration afterwards, you know? So I'm, I'm in relationship with a couple of people that participated in those trials, and they're really shouting out, you send us from the clinic in a taxi, one hour after the session with a taxi driver, I don't know, back to my house that maybe, I don't know, my husband or my wife, that they have some issue with them are, are there. And, and you didn't create a proper integration protocol, right? I don't really want to wander in the streets of London after having a very, very intense psychedelic experiences dealing with my traumas, right? And also regarding trauma, I want to say that this culture of healing traumas living by very, very important and well-known people is also very changing people's mind. And it's very suggestive. Some people don't need to heal their trauma. Some people don't have trauma. Some people don't need to go into very, very intensive, regressive sessions of psychedelics in order to treat themselves. This is going out of hand. So for sure, I, I'm not sure that doing huge, huge uh, psychedelic studies on MDMA on Ukrainians and Israelis are the most important thing to do now. No. We don't need to go into very aggressive, suggestive, um, psychedelic experiences as a humanity. Stop with this. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Please. <laughs> I mean, I think it's super interesting. The longer we talk. Yes. Yeah. To add something about the, the importance, how I see this, uh, the importance of, of respecting yeah. the, the processes which are which are really like underpinning the the psychedelic experience the personal spiritual 
deep processes and this takes time. So I think uh, this need to do everything very quickly is very capitalist in our capitalistic world, like to to like to mm-hmm. gain and to 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 obtain and and, and it's the consu- consumer society. We have we need to resolve and get rid of this trauma. How guy just mentioned and 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 do it quickly in a few weeks two 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 or three sessions of any mdma and uh, and a few and and i think it's okay it might work for for many people i'm not against it i i think it's the, the it's very it's very pot, potent and it's very it's very good too but uh, i think in most cases we ha- we need to respect the rhythm of these processes and um and, and that's the key to take the time to understand and to build the infrastructure for like for good integration mm-hmm. like no, knowledge more science more studies and just as many things in life sometimes just time is needed if you if you if you if you finish a, a love relationship nothing nothing else will help you just need time to overcome so sometimes processes need only time and I think this is this is the time is a is a very important factor. Yeah, the study that you're doing or like the work that you're doing in general, it actually feels like it's contributing contributing to like I mean to just create also a bigger understanding of everybody's trauma attached to to the current situation. I think that's what a lot of people are interested in how there can be an approach on this level of, you know, research, therapy and communication, that is actually a very different approach to parties approaching each other than the ones that we see, the, the way of non-communication that we see on, on, a, on a daily basis on social media and in the news. I think, I, I think collaboration at every level with Palestinians is the key for a better future and that's true in science and in education economy or whatever and i'm really in favor of 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 collaborating and of collaborations in all aspects of life mm-hmm. that's that's first of all Sec- the second point regarding what we are doing in our research i think psychedelics uh, can help understand trauma in general like the psychedelic experience that we are uh, looking at mm-hmm. Uh, to understand how trauma is encoded or like a traumatic event is encoded into into the body and the mind, I think it can give a lot of insights on trauma in general. So psychedelics can be a tool for this, like that's for sure. And the third aspect of the, the third part of the answer would be, as I said previously, I don't think uh, psychedelics spe- specifically is the way to... Uh, solve the issue with the Palestinian. It's just, I mean, collaborating is always good, but I think there are many, many, yeah. many, many other things that should be done in terms of like edu- basic education, children, and, and, and many aspects of life. So psychedelics in that sense is not particularly interesting in the, in terms of the, of the conflict, but yet every collaboration, every, everything we can do together with our, with our neighbors is welcome and it should be done. I think to address the Israeli-Palestinian conflict or Middle East conflict with, um, again, with this thinking about what is the correct um, 
thing to do, what is the right drug for it, what is the right atmosphere um, to get these people into is not the proper way to understand what's really going on here. It's rooted very, very, very deep into culture, into religion, into historical conflicts. And sitting together in a ayahuasca circle is a beautiful thing. Crying together, griefing together is a very, very important thing. But people are using um, politics in a very, very destructive way in this region. And the acts should be coming from uh, educating uh, our um, society in a different way and their society in a different way. Uh, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, we hear you. But I mean, if we should address it in a more um, political and educational uh, way. We, sh we should do something about our governance. Um, we should do something about education. We should do something about fundamental uh, religion ideas, uh, radical religion ideas. Yeah. But like, if the work that you're doing right now, also the the trial that you're the, the research that you're doing, like, I mean, it it could be like a the base of a kind of a new idea around almost like a healthcare system, or like like a a model for for therapeutical approaches in the future so if you if you could yeah. design like a whole let's say you can design a whole new healthcare system in terms of mental health how how would how would you approach this or what would be very important for you as a psychiatrist and a researcher faced with the very difficult questions right now that people are have to work around I will first suggest that mental health psychotherapy meetings will be available and subsidized by the government to the majority of the population. Uh, you don't need to get into a very difficult traumatic event in order to receive uh, mental health care. I will try to fix uh, the taboo we have around um, going to a psychiatrist because sometimes medication can save life. And I think there's a lot of work need to be done in, in this uh, aspect. And to change the paradigm that you need to be strong, that you need to overcome, that you need to win conflicts, that you need to win arguments, that you, mean, you need to win point. Because this is the mentality we grew up here, the Palestinians and the Israelis. We always need to say the final word. We cannot trust each other. And this is the war mindset that we have here. So if I will do something about our mental health, I will try to convince people that we can be more naive, optimistic, and that we can love each other that we are safe, no matter what, I would say. And this is the first thing I will do regarding mental health. Change the education, change the narrative. Damien, you as a psychiatrist who has like a daily encounter with people. I think the key to change 
like mental health is a more human approach maybe it's very general what i'm saying and i don't have any like a specific particular idea but uh, to what guy says first accessibility uh, to to care which is the normal human most human thing to to do if you if people are in um, psychological distress is to have access quickly uh, to care to 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 psychological support and psychiatric support and maybe change maybe the way like the way psychiatrists or psychologists or social workers are educated in a in in a sense that mm -hmm. in the sense that maybe the body can can be taken into account like mindfulness and other that, like the body as part of the of, of of the of mental health like in an approach that is just more um, more holistic in that sense body mind social i don't know i i, I it's it's a very very wide topic but there, there are many things that could be done but i think the the, the basic the basis is like how you put all these therapies and all these uh, techniques and all, uh, all all what is done into a more human uh, framework like or f mindset like how to how to make all this more human more accessible and and available okay and let's quickly come back to the to the foundation because um, we also want to say like you know, what you guys are looking for what you want to kind of accomplish with this but first of all also that people who are affected by this event can also approach you first of all right and the foundation the safe heart foundation would actually try to get get therapy for people who approach you right i mean that's that's the first thing so it's a question about what we're doing at safe heart sorry yeah so i mean like Because I mean, like maybe if somebody approaches you now after this has happened, like a little later, so people could still kind of approach you, or like the yeah. family, okay. that, you know, that's what I mean. Yeah. So, okay. So, Safe Heart agenda is to give one year of completely subsidized oh, wow. uh, therapy to the survivors, fully subsidized, psychiatric and psychological care every week with therapists that have a lot of experience in trauma but also are psychedelic aware so i'm teaching and my colleagues are teaching psychedelic care therapy this is my specialty mm -hmm. and all the therapists are trauma aware and trauma informed yeah so this is what we're doing in safer and we will continue doing that okay so we can meet a survivor that he was hiding in his house for a couple of months. He didn't want to go out because of the, the acute trauma that he experienced. But now he's coming out and wanted to get therapy, so he will get one year of therapy, no questions asked. So we're working together with the governments, we're working with philanthropists, so we're also you know, always looking for donations to help those people to get one year of treatment because also we have another agenda. We are paying Uh, we're paying well to our therapists as uh, something that usually is not happening. Psychologists are not getting paid well in the um, Israeli mental health uh, system. So we're trying to do everything uh, different. 
And one more thing is that uh, research, um, you know, a year will pass, maybe a second year will pass. At some moment, we'll have less and less and less uh, patients. Actually, we hope that they will not need us anymore. Uh, but we will continue with research. I will continue with the data collection, uh, follow-ups, um, trying to really, you know, look into this new field of trauma, uh, psychedelics, and psychotherapy. But it's, it's kind of new, right? We have, of course, the MAP study with the with the MDMA. But what happened to you if you're in the influence of drugs? And you were experienced to a traumatic event. This is something that uh, nobody uh, wrote. And, yes. and another thing that I find very, very interesting is difficult psychedelic experiences. That is also a research I'm doing together with uh, Greenwich uh, University in England with Jules Evans uh, and, uh, and Professor uh, Robinson. So uh, it's also understand better the difficult psychedelic experience and the relation to trauma, uh, mm -hmm. something that we will keep on research. Yeah, and, and it's important also, like, uh, important to mention Safeheart's activities also beyond the individual psychotherapy sessions uh, and the psychiatry, which is like uh, families, like support to families, retreats, which uh, which is uh, which is uh, which are conducted uh, to provide like community community support in uh, in 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 retreats which uh, involve like um, body therapy yoga uh, group psychotherapy as well uh, among other things but also to insist on the importance of community and the importance of the group and and this is a very 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 important part of safe hearts activity to 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 allow people survivors and therapists of course but survivors to meet in a safe context to to build their life wherever it stopped and to to share so that's very important to mention so meaning that a family as a family could also approach you and say we we would like to do this as a family like get into therapy as a family because i mean as we know like if one person is affected in a system or in a family, it will affect the whole family and the whole system. So that's also possible with you guys? Yes, absolutely. Uh, we are also trying to support the families of the survivors. And we're trying to make uh, community meetings, uh, give tools, psychoeducate about the psychedelic experience and about trauma and how it will look in one month, in two months what can support the individuals, et cetera, et cetera. So, of course, we're looking at this situation as, um, you know, trauma is something that is, is affect also the people around you. And you can get better, even faster and better uh, when you have a support system. And the most important support system is the family. If someone has a family that can support him, uh, research is showing that, and, and life shows that, will get probably might get better <laughs> it's um yeah i mean i mean i feel like i know from a couple of people now that are that started their own journeys and then the children are old enough and 
So they extend the therapy to the whole family, which seems to become a very interesting new development mm -hmm. to re reunite as a family if there have been conflicts, like even like a divorce, for example, right? I mean, or just... Yeah, it's, It's not um, for no reason that Family Constellation became the very, very hype those days. It started way, way back ago with psychodrama, sociometric oh. approach, uh, gestalt. But when you kind of arrange the, the box that you deliver, this concept of uh, Family Constellation, uh, it's booming. And, and I do think it's, it's super, super important, especially if we're talking about collective trauma. Well, I mean, in Berlin, a couple of people, Jewish people, told me that their grand, like, they had feelings around the Holocaust suddenly that they connected with the story of their own family, where the grandparents or, or sometimes grand grandparents, when they were young, <coughs> yeah. had died in the Holocaust. I can say that uh, my my grandparents are still alive. So. I'm very happy about it. And we met a couple of times since October 7th. And they share with me that they're reliving the Holocaust. And I look at them and I said, no, you are safe. You're, you're not in Germany now. You're not in Romania now. You're not in Paris now. You're safe here in your own house. Um, you were even far away from the bombing and the, the war. What do you mean you're reliving the Holocaust? And they said um, the dialectica, the dialogue around Israelis now is very similar to the dialogue around the Jewish people um, in the 40s, in the 30s, in the 20s in Europe. And they said, we were afraid. We were afraid for you and, and, and we we're afraid for our family and this country might no longer exist. And I told them, be rational, right? That there is... Uh, army here and there is support from other countries and of course everyone hates us in the Middle East but we're safe and they said it's not, it's not about it it's it's about the atmosphere and the atmosphere is kind of coming back to what happened um, not many years ago uh, in their opinion so I'm trying to get a void from that it's very confusing for me to hear that because i do feel like i feel uh, living a very very safe rather safe and i'm very privileged and to say that uh, environment um and i'm being thankful for being that privileged and they might be right i don't know i don't know i'm sure that we will experience very difficult decades in the years to come in europe in the middle east of course maybe in America. I just think it's important for people to understand that these feelings can be evoked around this topic. Yes. Other, that other people understand it, that these feelings yes. can come up. I mean, it's, it's what Rachel Yehuda's research is already showing. It's not even like a fantasy that some people have. It's exactly what she has proven, kind of. I mean, so... Genau. Mm -hmm. Genau. Damien, you want to add something to this? I haven't really thought about this topic. I'm uh, busy with other things and I'm not okay. thinking too much about the Holocaust, I must admit. But uh, I listen to you guys and uh, yeah, this, 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 is, this is worrying, but I'm, I'm not too much 
occupied. He's healthy. He's not thinking about the Holocaust. No, but I mean, look, I mean, it's it's a difficult conversation we're having here. It's not like a like a you know. But I mean, it is actually. I feel it is very important to really say these things because if if I go to my coffee place, it's the thing I'm experiencing. The woman who works there, who's from Tel Aviv, and um, she tells me exactly that. And she's uh, not even 30 years old. So it's not that it's not there. It is here. So I'm saying that it's not like that anti-Semitism. It's not like that anti-Semitism was absent. It's just like, you know, I, I grew up in Switzerland no, and, I, and I know what is anti-Semitism. And I think sometimes yeah. there is just a trigger which unleashes these things, you know, that are like, but they, they always yeah, were exactly. and they were under control. And now it's like getting out of control and it's, it's very worrying, but it's not like something new. Like, it's like, I think this, this is what is happening. Those things are inside and they, they just, you know, they just need a trigger to appear. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is there anything else you want to add in terms of the foundation Um, I, um, okay. so, so what we do at SafeWord at the moment is something completely new that needs a lot of support from the international community. First of all is to support the people that are in need for therapy for the PTSD. Uh, some of them already developed PTSD and it's a very special where we, we are handling them. So we're also taking them for a retreat, trying to build the social system that supported them before the attack but also they're meeting uh, a therapist weekly and they're meeting um, psychiatrists and and we need a lot of support in order to maintain that as we I said before we're aiming for one year of therapy to all of the survivors and we're talking about 3,000 survivors so it's very very expensive second thing is that our research I'm maybe biased, but I think it's one of the most important research in the field of trauma and psychedelics. Um, so in order to understand better the subjective experience of being in a traumatic event under the influence of psychedelics, we need uh, financial support. Um, and we're looking for donators that uh, want to support uh, research in the field of psychedelic trauma and uh, psychotherapy um, people can contact me uh, or Damian for that and um, yeah the field need uh, need more literature and um, and we have a very very complex live experience to understand here on the qualitative on the quantitative side on the physiological and the phenomenological side and we really hope the international community will try to support us for the sake of everyone, uh, not not only Israelis, of course, human beings. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, obviously we live in times where like there's such incredible new challenges I mean, that we cannot really not do this anymore. Yeah. Also experimenting or like researching new kinds <clears throat> of I mean, um, so it's obviously the time now to spend some money I on hope. this. 
<laughs> it's I always fun. like to say that the psychedelic experience is not happening in hospitals and in the clinics. Psychedelic experience is happening outside all the time. You know, in one weekend in Israel, there is more people on LSD than 60 years of psychedelic research. Okay. okay. So, do you talk with those people? The recreational users, this is the true psychedelic experience, not what's happening in the clinics with two therapists in, uh, with headphones and some uh, blindfolds, right? Yeah. Let's, let's start bottom up, not top down. Okay, that's a good last word, how we should start this thing. All right, thank you for being on. No, not just saying. <laughs> Thank you for being on the show. I know this was kind of a difficult thing to talk about, but I think I'm very grateful that we, you guys wanted to have this conversation because it can be done. A conversation can be had about these things. So I'm very happy that you were on the show. And thank you very much for this opportunity, um, for giving us a voice. Um, yeah, I appreciate this talk. I'm willing to be seen and look at everyone in the world as one world and one community. So, so that's why we need to work together. Absolutely. Totally agree. Um, and again, like, I mean, I think people can have conversations. I mean, it's for free. It's like, you can just say we have a difficult conversation now, but let's have it. Hey, and thank you for listening to this episode. Since I have you here, I just wanted to remind you, please follow us on Instagram, The New Health Club, on X, The New Health CL1, on LinkedIn, and please subscribe to our newsletter on Substack. I'm very happy if you are a returning listener and customer and fan of The New Health Club. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.